liftoff and the clock has started. This is 20 minutes you'll never get back. Oh, it's good to have Graham back, isn't it? Yes, the clock is ticking. You said, okay, Doug, you've got 20 minutes. Uh, Entertain me. (laughs) I will give it my best shot. Yes, this is 20 minutes you'll never get back. I promise you're not going to get him back. My name is Doug Prezak, and uh, thank you for tuning in, pushing the play button, and listening to this. Um, I appreciate it. From no matter where in the world you're listening to this, I appreciate it. I really do, honestly. I'm not kidding. All right, this is episode 44. Uh, Yeah, 44, and um, I was sitting around the other day thinking, okay, Doug, it's time to record another episode. What is it going to be? So I just sat there staring at my computer screen and uh, trying to think of what uh, what random thought's going to pop into my head. And I uh, took another uh, drink of my Coke Zero, and I put the can down in front of me, and then I stared at the can. <laughs> I, I think you already see where this is going. <laughs> if you know me by now, you know exactly where this is going. That's right. Today's episode is all about Coca-Cola <laughs> because just because there was a can in front of me. I drink Coke Zero exclusively. I guess that makes me an influencer. Hey, Coke, if you're listening, I'm available for a sponsorship. Uh, Just contact me, will you? I drink Coke Zero exclusively. And that got me into thinking, I know very little about Coke's background, their backstory, if you will, their history, if you will. So I decided this would be a good time for me to do some research thereby eliminating the need for you to do the research. See, I, I did it so you don't have to. All right, the, the history of Coca-Cola in 20 minutes. Go. The story of Coca-Cola began in Atlanta, Georgia on May 8, 1886. It was invented by a guy named Dr. John Stith Pemberton at his Pemberton Chemical Company. Uh-oh, this doesn't sound good already. Anyway, Pemberton, he had been wounded in the Civil War, and he had subsequently become addicted to morphine. He spent considerable amount of time trying to develop a morphine-free painkiller. Now, his first attempt was known as Dr. Tuggle's Compound Syrup of Globe Flour. Thank goodness the name got changed to Coca-Cola because I'd hate to be in a restaurant and have the food server ask me what I would like to drink then I'd have to say, uh, Dr. Tuggle's compound syrup of globe flour, please. (laughs) The active ingredient in this compound is found in the button bush, which is a toxic plant found in Alaska. Now, for all of you listeners up in Alaska, be warned, the button bush is toxic. You probably already knew that. He then experimented with coca and coca wines. Pemberton made a drink that contained the extract from a cola nut, among other things. He called this drink Pemberton's French Wine Coca Nerve Tonic. We're getting even better. Unfortunately, this beverage contained alcohol. And in 1886, Atlanta and Fulton County passed some temperance legislation that was common at the time. That meant alcohol was no longer allowed. Pemberton had to find an alternative to his French wine coca. Thank God, (laughs) French wine coca. Pemberton responded by developing Coca-Cola, a non-alcoholic version of Pemberton's French wine coca. He mixed a lot of different kinds of syrups using trial and error method, slowly drifting into his final product. He cleaned out a glass with soda water and discovered that it made a pleasant beverage. It was marketed as Coca-Cola, the temperance drink. 
which appealed to many people as the temperance movement enjoyed a wide support during that time. Now, Pemberton mixed the syrup and took it to Jacob's Pharmacy, where they sampled the product and said it was excellent and placed the drink on sale for five cents a glass. Pemberton's new drink was marketed and sold as a patent medicine. Pemberton claimed it is a cure for many diseases, including morphine addiction, indigestion, nerve disorders, headaches, and impotence. His bookkeeper and partner, Frank Robinson, chose the name for the beverage. He was known for his excellent handwriting and wrote Coca-Cola in the flowing script that you still see on the bottles today. Now, soon after bringing Coca-Cola to the market, John Pemberton became very sick. He had uh, incorporated Coca-Cola and he started a company around it. Now, Pemberton had one son, Charles Pemberton. Now, the older Pemberton, he felt that Coca-Cola was going to be a major success, and he wanted to make sure that a portion of the company was left to Charles. Now, Charles just wasn't very interested in owning a portion of the company, and instead, he insisted on selling out to have the money instead. He was struggling greatly with finances, and in an act of desperation, he started selling off the rights to his formula and his business. Now, this is where Asa Griggs Candler came into the Coca-Cola picture. Asa Candler was a, a, a smart businessman and a pharmacist in the Atlanta area. He loved the Coca-Cola drink and he began buying shares from Pemberton. Charles continued to be involved with the Coca-Cola company. He held exclusive control over the Coca-Cola name. He sold a crude version of Coca-Cola under the Coca-Cola name. Now this was a major hurdle for Asa Candler. At this point, Candler owned one-third stake in Coca-Cola. He had the rights to the official recipe, but he didn't have the rights to the name. As a result, he had to sell the beverage under alternate names like Yum Yum and Coke, spelled K-O-K-E. Again, thank God for the name change because I cannot see myself going to a restaurant and ordering a glass of Yum Yum. What am I, four years old? Shortly after he sold off the company, John Pemberton died of stomach cancer in August of 1888. He was 57 years old. Son Charles was still in charge of the rights to the Coca-Cola name. After Pemberton died, Asa Candler acted quickly to gain complete control of Coca-Cola, including the rights to the name. He knew the recipe was solid, but selling that under Yum Yum and Coke wasn't taking off. Duh! It certainly wasn't making him the kind of money that he felt he should be taking in. Now, one story states that Candler approached Pemberton's widow on the day of his funeral and offered her $300 cash for the title to the name. Asa Candler was finally in full control, and he incorporated a second company called the Coca-Cola Company. When all was said and done, his total investment in taking over Coca-Cola was $2,300. In today's dollars, that'd be roughly around $64,000. Now, if I do some quick math here, see that, uh, 20, and uh, yeah, that's not bad for a company that's now worth $83.8 billion. And what became of son Charles Pemberton? Well, he was an alcoholic and an opium addict. He was found unconscious in 1894 with a stick of opium by his side, and he died 10 days later at the age of 40. So Candler now has, he's got complete control of the company. 
and he was able to successfully market and grow Coca-Cola's footprint. He was responsible for actually for getting Coca-Cola officially trademarked. Now, by 1895, Coca-Cola had a national distribution. In 1899, they began exporting Coca-Cola to Cuba. And two years later, exports to Europe began. So let's talk about the elephant in the Coke bottle, if we can. Yeah, cocaine and Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola was originally brewed from coca leaves. These contained small amounts of cocaine. The original Coca-Cola beverage actually contained cocaine. However, it was a byproduct of using the coca leaves. Originally, each glass contained around 9 milligrams of cocaine. Candler decided this just isn't right, and in 1903, he decided to remove the cocaine from the coca leaves before adding them to the drink. He then sold the extracted cocaine to the pharmaceutical companies. So there you go. There's no more cocaine in Coke since 1903. Relax, everybody. The early 1900s was a period of growth and change within the Coca-Cola company. Now, as I already mentioned, in 1903, they removed cocaine from the formula. And in 1911, the advertising budget for Coca-Cola reached a dizzying sum of $1 million. In today's dollars, that would have been around $12 million. By comparison, Coke's advertising budget for 2018 was $5.8 billion. Again, hey Coke, if you're listening, why don't you think about throwing some of that money my way? I will advertise the heck out of it every episode. So, you know, just saying, think about it, please. In 1915, the iconic Coca-Cola glass bottle was developed and used. In 1916, Candler ran for mayor and won. As a result of winning that election, he began to reduce his involvement in the day-to-day operations at Coca-Cola. In 1917, the company reduced the amount of caffeine in the beverage by 50%. Lord, how much was in there? In 1919, Candler gave most of his stock to his kids. They turned around and sold their shares to Ernst Woodruff. Woodruff's sons, Robert and George, were heavily involved with leading and influencing Coca-Cola until 1985. George was a director at Coca-Cola, and his brother Robert was the president of Coca-Cola until 1954. Okay, that's been a lot of names, so I think this is a really good time to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about the five-cent Coke, and we're going to dispel all those Coke myths out there. So... Go grab yourself a Coke, and I will be right back. I know you're saying, Doug, that was a Pepsi commercial. What's wrong with you? Well, the reason is simple. It's just in case Pepsi's listening, I'm available for endorsements. Okay? Just just saying. The history of Coca-Cola took a really interesting turn in 1899. Benjamin Thomas and Joseph Whitehead, they approached Asa Candler about a contract to bottle Coca-Cola. They were two lawyers from Chattanooga, Tennessee. Candler signed the contract for $1, which he never collected. This also put Coca-Cola in a precarious position. The bottling contract had no expiration date. 
Candler had essentially agreed to sell Coca-Cola at the same price forever. Now, many speculate that he did this because he honestly thought that bottling would never take off. He had faith that the sales of Coke would remain popular at the soda fountains. However, in 1928, bottled Coca-Cola sales surpassed the soda fountain sales. During this time, the price of a six and a half ounce glass of Coca-Cola was five cents. Bottling companies wanted to raise the prices, which really bothered Coca-Cola. The bottling companies would charge whatever they wanted for the finished bottle of Coke, but Coca-Cola had to sell their syrup to the bottling companies at a fixed price. Well, because of their agreement, Coca-Cola could only increase the profits if they sold more syrup. Now, in an effort to force bottling companies to buy more syrup, Coca-Cola started a brilliant advertising campaign. And no, it was not that teach the world the same thing, and that's going to come later. If you think about any old-time Coke advertising pictures or illustrations you've seen, it always said five cents. Yep, every ad for Coca-Cola had the five-cent price tag in the advertisement. Now, by controlling the advertising and the price of the finished product through advertising, Coca-Cola was able to keep the price of Coke at five cents from 1886 all the way through 1959. Sadly, I remember when Coke was five, almost five cents. I'm, I may have dated myself, but I remember when it was five cents. Another reason for pushing to keep the cost of Coke at five cents was the vending machines used at the time. Vending machines couldn't give reliable change. Coca-Cola was afraid consumers wouldn't purchase Coke if it required multiple coins. They were also hesitant to double the price of Coke to 10 cents, so they kept it at five cents. Coca-Cola tried many times to get creative and find ways to increase their prices on the vending machines. The Coca-Cola company even went so far as to petition the U.S. Treasury in 1953 to produce a seven and a half cent coin. Can you imagine the challenges of making change with a seven and a half cent coin? Oh, God. Well, the Treasury Department looked at that petition and they said, uh-uh. The five-cent Coke was officially dead in 1959. Coca-Cola had a long-standing policy in place to not use its name on anything other than this flagship product. In the 1960s, when Diet Cola started taking off, the Coca-Cola company stuck to that decision and released a Diet Soda under the name of Tab in 1963. In 1982, they launched Diet Coke. Instead of being a modified version of the original recipe, Diet Coke was just the tab formula. And then on April 23, 1985, all hell broke loose. Coca-Cola, amid a whole lot of publicity, attempted to change the formula of the drink with new Coke. Follow-up taste tests revealed that most consumers actually preferred the taste of new Coke to both Coke and Pepsi. But Coca-Cola management was unprepared for the public's nostalgia for the old drink, leading to a crap load of backlash. The company gave in to protest and returned to the old formula under the name Coke Classic just three months later on July 10th. New Coke remained available and was renamed Coke 2 in 1992. It was discontinued in 2002. All right, let's talk about some myths about Coke. Now, Coke has a long history and a, a powerful image, and that usually means a bunch of myths get mixed in with facts about the drink. With more and more people trusting you know, information from the questionable Internet sources, conspiracy theories and urban legends get thrown against Coke 
uh, all the time. So here's a few that just aren't true. The first is Coke can dissolve a human tooth overnight. Now, while the average pH of Coke is 2.37, it does not rank high enough to cause any immediate damage to our physiology, let alone something as strong as your tooth. Acids with a pH ranking one or lower cause immediate threats to our health. So Coke would have to have a much lower pH number than the 2.37 to do any damage. So myth busted. The next big myth is that cocaine is an active ingredient in Coke. Now, we already talked about the fact that 1903 it went away. Today, the flavor of Coke partially comes from the cocaine-free coca leaf extract that's prepared at a factory in Mayfield, New Jersey. This is the only factory legally able to process the drug in the United States. The next rumor is that Coke with natural sugar is healthier. Now, a lot of us have heard that Mexican Coke or European Coke that contains sugar sourced from beets or sugarcane end up having health benefits when compared to the U.S. Coke that contains high fructose corn syrup. While corn syrups are still being studied, sugar and corn syrups get processed exactly the same way through our metabolism. And in this case, natural sugar doesn't equate to any health benefits. This next rumor is just plain stupid. Several years ago, an internet rumor popped up outraging Coke fans that the drink allegedly contained pork. Despite this myth gaining traction every few years, Coca-Cola representatives have released multiple statements denying this rumor and blatantly stating that no meat products make their way into the beverage. No one really knows how this rumor got started, but rest assured, Coke is 100% vegan. Another rumor from the stupid department, drinking Coke after eating mento mints will make your stomach explode. <laughs> Well, by now, uh, just about everybody's seen the videos online of adults and kids dropping Mentos into bottles of cola, causing violent geysers to kind of shoot out of the top of the bottle. With such an extreme physical reaction, another internet rumor started claiming that anyone who drinks cola after swallowing a whole Mento mint would cause a victim's stomach to explode. This idea is completely fiction, and it's not going to make your stomach explode it definitely will cause some serious indigestion and discomfort, uh, so probably should not try it at home. And lastly, there's a rumor that Coca-Cola invented Santa Claus. <laughs> Just because you've seen Santa on the old-time Coke advertising, for five cents, by the way, does not mean that Coke invented Santa. Go back and check out episode 26, and you'll find out everything you want to know about Santa Claus. Alrighty, that is going to wrap up episode 44. And uh, what did we learn today? Well, we learned that Coke's first name was Dr. Tuggle's compound syrup of globe flour. <laughs> we learned that Widow Pemberton got ambushed by Asa Candler at a funeral. We learned over and over again that since 1903, there has been no cocaine in Coca-Cola. Let it go, people. And we learned there's no pork in Coke. Do people really believe that? Seriously. <sighs> that will wrap up this episode. Thank you very much for spending your 20 minutes with me. And I will talk to you next time on 20 Minutes You'll Never Get Back. Bye-bye. Hi, it's me again, Doug. I want to take up a couple more seconds of your time just to remind you, if you want to stay informed of when uh, the next podcast is posted, 
all you need to do is sign up at uh, on that Instagram machine. It's at uh, 20MYNGB, 20MYNGB, and that means 20 minutes you'll never get back. Uh, if you sign up there, you'll uh, always see when the next podcast is uploaded. And if you want to leave some comments, by all means, please do go to the uh, website at 20minutespodcast.com. So it's 20minutespodcast.com. And uh, you can uh, leave your comments there. It also tells you how you can be an announcer for the show. So take, take a look at those two things if you'd like and stay informed. And I'll, as always, thank you very much for listening to uh, 20 Minutes You'll Never Get Back. Bye-bye.